makers and hackers and DIY people and stuff, you know, I, I think they're, at least to me, the more interesting people, but then I'm one of them, so yeah. they, they would be the group I would gravitate toward. art and technology together and I will be the discussion leader for today. I'm here with Catherine Neal who for me requires no introduction but I'm going to attempt in the next hour to convince you that she is as cool as I know she is. And hopefully once we've done that then we'll get to something really awesome. So this the idea behind this show is pretty much in the name bringing art and technology together We're trying to find people that are doing interesting things in the land of, basically, people that are innovating. Let's just say that. That's that's what I mean when I think of artists, when I think of technologists, when I think of entrepreneurs, when I think of people trying out new business models or people taking something that should work in a big city and trying it out in a small city and so on. Um, And it's particularly, there's also a lot of people doing things globally now, too. They're... They're trying to do something that reaches from Florida to Africa to China to who knows where. And uh, open source software is a really good example of something like that. So yeah, I don't know what other context I can give you, the unknowing listener who has maybe stumbled across this somehow. But we will try to explore the modern world. And that's what I was going to say about it. And I thought Catherine would be a great person to hopefully in the future um, maybe co-host this co-discuss this whatever we're going to call it Um, and the person we're talking about getting on as our guest number one is not available right now so we're going to call this podcast zero zero point zero yeah it's just inefficient to start counting at one because now you've wasted a whole register exactly totally agree so, Catherine, you currently live off the coast, the east coast of Florida, in a little place called New Smyrna. That's true. What what brought you there this time, and what are you doing in that area of the world? Um, well, the reason I chose, chose to reside at New Smyrna Beach is because when I was a teenager and my family lived in Orlando, I spent a lot of my um, free time over at New Smyrna Beach, and I also lifeguarded over there in the summers. Um, And I was a surfer, and that's where all those really decent surfers hung out in the area. And since I was uh, basically a huge sun worshiper, beach bum, Um, that's where I hung out when I was younger and I always loved that area and it's like one of the last of what I considered the unspoiled beach towns in Florida Mm. so when I decided to move back I really wanted to live at the beach so that's where I live but I also wanted to be near an area where there were tech people and artist people which is really more Orlando although New Smyrna does have a very thriving artist community so uh, it's sort of the best of all worlds for me. Cool. Sun and sand. Sun and sand. And space shuttles. And space shuttles. Well, sort of. Well, yeah. Now Decommissioned they're... space shuttles. Well, now the things that go off, you're not supposed to know about what's going up. But occasionally you see bright flashes of light, like, you know, uh, I think the Dragon launch recently. Mm. So... You know, things are going up, but, you know, it's not for the populace to know about, I don't think. Well, I don't I mean, I did hear a fair amount of, like, coverage of Dragon Capsule in yeah, that's what I would true. consider mainstream news. Yeah, that's true. But people keep making it out like somebody's doing NASA's job for them, when, in fact, it's, it's more like 
innovation is happening, right? Yeah, it's true. I mean, NASA is trying to shift over to supporting more private industry um, privatization of space. Um, there's still a lot of things that they're doing, I think, with you know um, the military, uh, that sort of thing. So it's not like NASA's gone away. It's just not the same sort of public um, um, pure science research sort of things that we've seen in the past. And it's not uh, sort of the NASA PR that it used to be. Mm. So it's it's changing. It's evolving. Well, the other thing I, I see is like it makes sense for somebody else to take over you know, carting things and people up and down into Earth orbit because the problem's been solved. Exactly. Mission accomplished, and we actually accomplished it with 1970s technology, so what can we do with today's technology and move on from there, right? Right. I mean, you know, I think a lot of it was to really to, originally was to inspire um, people to go into you know mathematics and science and engineering, and it was really good for that. And now we've got people like Elon Musk and Richard Branson and stuff who are working to privatize space, and um, I think that's good in a lot of ways. You know, I what I would hate to see done is that we give up a lot of basic research, um, and I think we really need to keep going in that area as well um but yeah there's lots of good things that can be done with privatization of space uh, and i think it's uh, really just a matter matter of uh letting our imaginations run and seeing what we can do with it for the greater good of everybody yeah so, I mean, I, I, we just talked for seven minutes about space, but do <laughs> you have all kinds of other interests and background that bring you here? Like, one of the examples is that you're a published poet. Right. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I, I'm... I, I'm... I identify myself as... Um, a southern writer and poet and I even identified as that when I lived in New England um, because my family is something like six generations minimum southerners and having been born in Alabama and having lived there and grown up, also grown up in Florida and not leaving here until I left for college to go to Maryland, which is still in the South, although my family doesn't believe it. Um, all my, all, a lot of my grown-up years and my, my years that I was growing up uh, is all about the South. So that sort of colors all of my writing and my storytelling. So that really influences my art in lots of ways, even when I don't think it is. So I... Um, really love a lot of things about the South. Um, like most educated Southerners, I think, though, it's sort of a love-hate relationship. Even Faulkner had this relationship with the South. There are many things I love about it, and there's a, there's a variety of things that I sort of have issues with about the South. You almost want to write them off. Yeah, you know, it's like, you know, there are occasion, occasions when you sort of do the, you know, head palm sort of thing. Uh, and but there's a lot of things that are really quite lovely about the place, and I really hate the cold, mm-hmm. and I hate snow, and um, that's part of the reason I love to be back. But you know, I also love sort of the tra- some of the things that are traditionally associated with the South, like you know the more laid back attitude, um, the civility of the South, um, the um, uh, sort of sense of place that's associated with the South? Well, there's there's a lot less 
I don't know what I'm going to use here. Flashiness? Yeah. Yeah. I had, um, when I came down to visit one time, I brought a friend of mine with me down here. And they were from San Francisco. And one of the questions I got before we came down was, so what's the aesthetic of Florida? (laughs) And my response was, it's Florida. There is no aesthetic. Right. It's whatever you want to do and how you want to dress and whatever you're feeling like on any particular day. And that's one of the things I really love about it because you can sort of pretty much be anything you want to be or do anything you want to do on any given day. Winter Park, Florida is a really good example of what you're talking about. Yeah. Because you'll have like people in complete business attire Mm -hmm. and then right next to them is their best friend who's wearing a polo shirt plaid shorts and croc uh, what do they call those things? Sandals. Sandals. I guess. Those foam squishy ugly things. Yes. And that's considered acceptable to leave the house in and ride your scooter down to the place that has valet parking and you know you paying like $15 for a glass of wine but you're like dressed like you're working in the garden. Yeah, and you also have the little old ladies in, uh, you know, on Park Avenue in Winter Park who are wearing their minks and it's 98 degrees outside, yeah. you know. Um, yeah, you can see anything there. Um, and the college kids. And, and the, the college kids. that are out of school and... The whole thing. Everyone. Yeah. really kind of interesting because one of the first poetry prizes I ever won was from the Morris Foundation, which the Morris Art Center is in Winter Park. So um, one of my first poetry receptions I ever went to was at the Morris Foundation but it, and the Morris Museum, which is now significantly larger than it was when I won that prize. And I got to go to a reception there. It was a very interesting place. But yes, it's all kind of a mix down here, which yeah. is fun. It also gives me lots of characters to work from when I write. Definitely, yes. <laughs> uh, I don't know if there is a Tennessee Williams of Orlando, but that would be interesting. Yeah. yeah. We do have, well, so we do have like the Jack Kerouac house. I don't know if you've paid attention to that too much here, but... We have this program that I think it's like four times a year they have a different artist in residence come and write but they also have them like do PR for them right like right. they'll come down here to Urban Rethink and do a reading or they'll do readings at the house or they'll do you know appearances at different functions around town and it's like they're it's not exactly like having the poet laureate I don't think Orlando has one of those right uh, but it's 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 a somewhat esteemed thing to be able to come and basically go on retreat in College Park, right? Right. Yeah, actually, I got, when I was living um, in Massachusetts, I sort of got teased by some of my friends in Massachusetts that I was sort of the re- reverse of Kerouac because he was born in Lowell, Massachusetts, which was not far from where I lived, and he came to Orlando, whereas... I was living in Orlando, and I went to Massachusetts. Not in a straight line, but um, I sort of got teased about that a little bit, that I did the reverse of Kerouac. But yeah, there are lots of really great um, arts events, particularly in writing, that go on down here now. When I left, everything was... There wasn't much of an art scene, really. I think it was just sort of starting to get going. Um, uh, So it's really nice. That was one of my requirements when I was looking um, to move, uh, that when I came down here, I was really happy to find that there was really much more of an arts community. Uh, And that was one of my requirements uh, when I was deciding whether or not to come back. Well, hopefully hopefully you found some of that. I mean, we're sitting in Urban Rethink right now, which is, I guess you could call it a decommissioned bookstore. <laughs> yeah. 
It's like it's like a government surplus, you know, retail space, except for it's Craig Usler and Friends surplus retail space that they ended up turning into a pretty cool, very small shared workspace. Oh, it's much cooler than that. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, it's one of my. It was one of the major decision points in uh, my move down here. Actually, what happened was a friend of mine, my mentor actually, uh, who's a who's a poet. Uh, when I was sort of, I rented a cottage down here before I decided to move down here for a while, just to sort of test test this whole idea about moving back. And she said, "Oh, you you should go to." A, a friend of mine who's giving a writing workshop and it happened to be here at Urban Rethink. Mm. So I came down for the one day workshop and I discovered this co-working space and I'm going, hmm, this is really interesting. Isn't this fascinating? And then I got told about the co-working space and how it had all these wonderful geek techie types and had all these artist types and I'm going, gee, I think I found my home. (laughs) And I signed up, I think, practically the two days after you guys opened the doors. Hmm. And uh, so it's my happy little home. And uh, I've been really impressed with it. Well, and it's interesting because the story you just told, and see, I, 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 I set up the softball for you. I hope <laughs> you understand that. Sure. Um, is that the reason why you signed up was because of the people. Exactly. Not because we have the fastest internet or because we have a giant mural or, you know, our own in-house, you know, guacamole chef. Although those things are all great. (laughs) And we Um, do have all those things. We do have all of those things. And we have our own orange chair with purple duct tape on it. That's right. It's a fashion statement. Well, it's it's actually an art project. Yes. Uh, it It is part of... An installation that spans all of Central Florida, which is really cool that we've got one, right? Mm-hmm. And then we've started some of our own installations that span all over Central Florida as well. So um, it's really hard to measure the impact of a place like this. And when you walk in and you say, show me something cool, we don't currently have like a lot of flashiness, right? Exactly. But that's also our style. That's our thing. Is like, we need you to want to be involved, and then we'll show you how cool we are. Right. Uh, at least that's been my take on it in the last, you know, I've been involved with this project for a couple of years now. Um, almost, it's two and a half years that I've been involved. It was right before the bookstore was going to close, which was like, February of 2010, and we're now in June of 2012. So, uh, a little bit of time invested here. Yeah, just a little bit. But no, this is this is a great place, and I really like all of the people here and stuff. And where else can you find a 56-inch radio-controlled bass? Uh, <laughs> Something that I wonder a lot about, and like I'm involved with a number of different, and I can't call them places because they don't actually have a physical home, communities. Right. Right? Uh, the Drupal community is one really big community. It's, you know, all over the world, it's got tens of thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people, depending on how you measure it. And we have all these artifacts, things that we've generated. And the neat thing about it is they're all there. You can find every single, just about, every single thing that's been contributed to Drupal in one place, which is a virtual place called Drupal.org, but it's all there. And, And at the same time, all of the stories around that and all of the interactions people had to create all that stuff is really the reason why you get involved with the Drupal community is because of the people Right, their their slogan is actually "Come for the code, stay for the community." Right, um, and so that's an example. And and we have this 
uh, and again, like it's hard to come up with a word for it, but we have an event that we call Florida Creatives Happy Hour. But again, like getting together to drink beer is not the reason why you go. And you don't really even have to go to belong to, to the community. If you want to be a member of Florida Creatives, you are already a member. No sign-up required, no membership fee required. And then we go to something like Urban Rethink, where we have overhead and like square footage and artifacts and things that exist in the real world. And all of a sudden, like people's brains break. <laughs> and they're like, how much does it cost? And I'm like, no, you're asking the wrong question. Like, just show up. Just come to an event. Be part of it. Come down and bring your laptop. Oh, but how much do I have to pay to work for a day? And I was like, yeah, you're asking the wrong question again. Like, just be here, please. Pay when you feel like it. Like, it's hard to say that because we do need to make money. Right. To keep the doors open and to fix their air conditioner. But we, did, we talked long and hard about whether we were going to have a day rate at all in that first year and um, it's something that we're constantly revisiting we're constantly looking at our pricing models and how we're selling ourselves to the outside world because it is so hard to understand that we've got physical space but we want you to use it more than we want you to pay for it right yeah I mean that's always the balancing act with something like this um You want to make it available to everybody, but you're right, there is overhead, and unless we suddenly find a uh, sponsor who's going to bestow millions on us, or even hundreds of thousands, or even tens of thousands, we're kind of stuck with the reality of having to keep the space up and pay for air conditioning and electric bills and all that other stuff. But the other part is, uh, you know, there are people who are willing to pay for this because it's so important to them. You know, it's, it's an investment in the community. So, um, and I'm one of those people, you know, that'll pay the monthly fee or whatever. But, it's such a wonderful place to be because you get to be around such amazing and creative people and there are such amazing sparks that you get when you meet people that are very different from you. And sometimes that's working outside your comfort zone a little bit or sometimes it's chance encounters and conversations that spark ideas that you didn't consider or hadn't thought about and it gets you to the next level of whatever it is you're working on whether it's um, you know a for-profit project or an art project or just a wild and crazy idea that you go out and uh, engage in with another group of people or, or making your own optical synthesizer exactly you know um, you know the the idea of going from me bringing in a theremin that was made from a pencil and some uh, electrodes and a little circuit board ended up turning into a sun, uh, once a month Sunday afternoon musical hackathon you know uh, which is great and I've been finding some more projects and kits that we can hopefully work on yeah so you never know what little thing you do is going to morph into something bigger or more interesting or um, is going to spark ideas with other people and that's the beauty of having a place like this in the physical world as opposed to the virtual world. Sometimes you get that in the virtual world too, but you know, there's something to be said for sitting down and having conversations face-to-face, eye-to-eye with other human beings or having dinner or drinks or whatever. And we've had such a good time here in our own little treehouse. Yes. It is urban rethink. Yeah, I mean, it really is, 
it's a clubhouse. And clubhouse implies that the club does not need the house to exist. Right, exactly. Like the Elks and the Masons and the Moose and the Girl Scouts and pick your favorite organization. Right. These things will continue without an in- well, as an institution, without an institutional seat. Exactly. So, welcome to the co-working community. If you're listening to this, you are a member. I have now d- doubly anointed you. I once there lived an old man with a very crooked nose. He lived in Log Hut and he called him Old Man Mose. Yeah! Early one morning, I knocked at his door. I didn't hear a single sound. I ain't gonna do it no more. Cause... So, speaking of meeting people who have very different backgrounds than your own. Here is me with my Bachelor's of Digital Media, which is a fancy way of saying liberal arts. Uh, And then you have Catherine, who has a microbiology background. No. Neurobiology. Well, my undergraduate degrees are in psychology and biology. Yes. And um, when I was an undergraduate... Uh, and as I mentioned, I went to college in Maryland. While an undergraduate, I needed a job. And I happened to find a job at the National Institutes of Health while I was an undergraduate. And they had these weird federal jobs called stay-in-school positions, mm-hmm. which were um, for students only. And you got to work as much as 20 hours a week during the school year. And you got to work full-time on your holidays and during the summers, and which was kind of perfect for a student. And I did that, and I ended up working in a neurobiology lab, which kind of worked well with somebody who has a psychology and a biology background. And my, psych- my psychology was research psychology, not, you know, why do you hate your mother mm-hmm. psychology. And when I graduated, they hired me full-time as a research neurobiologist. And I stayed there for quite a while. Um, I think all told I was a neurobiologist for six years. And then I got hired away by a um, large computer firm. They found out that I had been writing all the statistical analysis software for all the other scientists and said, huh, do you know how much money you can make as a programmer? And I went, nope, how much? And they told me and six weeks later I was on my way to uh, training in Plano, Texas to be a systems engineer. And that's what I did for seven years. And then I got hired away by another company who sent me to this place called Silicon Valley to be director of innovative computing because I kept doing strange things with this plate, this thing called the internet that mm-hmm. was taking off. So I did that, and then I got sent to Washington, D.C., where I messed about with a bunch of startups, and then I moved to uh, Cambridge, Mass., which I was there for six years. Did a lot of research sort of oriented stuff. More wild and craziness with computers. And uh, then I decided I'm kind of tired of digging my car out of snowbanks and freezing my buns off. And it's like, okay, I'm a freelancer. So I'm getting myself to someplace that has a beach and it doesn't go to minus degrees in the wintertime. So I decided to come home to Florida. So that's how I ended up here. Well, we're very happy to have you. Yeah, thanks. I'm glad to be here. And is this going to sound like I'm using you, but it's not. (laughs) But you are like one of my favorite marketing chips in the last (laughs) couple of months when we went to bar camp and we were talking about what sort of a talk would you give at bar camp and I said, you should give the talk that says, I've lived everywhere and now I'm in Florida. And this is why it's okay. 
And I could give Why that talk... Why it's okay to live in Florida? I can give that talk every year, but I've pretty much only lived in Florida. And people take it with this level of, you know, committal. Right? They're like, yeah, yeah, but I'm still going to move to Portland. It's like, no, but we have so much cool stuff here. You just look. <laughs> you, just, you have no idea. But then you have Catherine who has... You have, you have grounds to be able to say this stuff. You have, you know, N years behind you that says, I've been everywhere and this place is just fine. Deal with it. Yeah. Stop your complaining and just make it better. Right? Right. As a matter of fact, I think I managed to talk one, one small business out of moving to Silicon Valley. At least I'm very hopeful I have. It's not that I don't. It's not that I think there's anything wrong with Silicon Valley, um, but the idea that every small tech startup should move to Silicon Valley, I think, is ridiculous. This idea that a small startup needs to move to Silicon Valley and that's how you become the next Facebook is completely crazy. It's erroneous logic. I really wish that Facebook actually had never moved there. Yeah, I, you know, it was probably fine at the time they did it. Okay, it's, you know, said and done. I think they would have been just as successful if they'd stayed in Massachusetts. Yeah. But now people think that the magic sauce is you move your office to Silicon Valley and you become the next Facebook. Right. That's not true. What people don't see, because they don't make a movie about this, <laughs> is the... Thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of small startups that either pop up in Silicon Valley or move to Silicon Valley and crash and burn mm -hmm. on a daily basis. Yeah. So it makes a lot more sense to me to start your startup someplace like Orlando where you can afford the rent, you can afford the talent. You can um, grow your business organically with your buddies. Yeah. Um, you can afford the house. Trust me, in California, you know, they're not cheap and they could likely either fall off into a crevasse in an earthquake or slide off into the ocean in a mudslide. Yeah. Um, and, or burn up in a wildfire. And grow them up in a way that's a lot more sensible and balanced and sane. And then when they get to a certain point, if you're hell-bent for leather to have an office in Silicon Valley, go rent spa a space and have a satellite office in Silicon Valley. Right. And you've got your office. Right. But you haven't, you know, broken the bank, you know, and put yourself into incredible debt or signed away your life and your business to venture capitalists just so you can say I had a startup in Silicon Valley. Well, and the whole time you've got to sit in a place where the food economy is, you know, growing by leaps and bounds and, you know, people are starting to realize that buying local is not a swear word. Yeah, exactly. And you're, you know, how many you know minutes away from the beach and 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 so many cool things right well that's part of the reason i came back this is sort of this is sort of like the best of all worlds the reason that there are certain attributes that make Sil silicon valley successful were there were, were was a major university nearby there was a sense of regional cohesion. This came out came about because Silicon Valley got the people in Silicon Valley, the businesses and the university and everything got tired of all their talent being bled away to right. the East Coast. So they decided to sort of pool their resources and try to keep their graduates there. That's what Florida and Central Florida in particular needs to do. You know, and I think that's what's starting to happen. Um, there had to be people who were willing to really work on getting this sense of regionality and community pride going so that people didn't say, 
you know, forget it. I'm going to go to New York. I'm going to go to D.C. I'm going to go someplace else that's quote-unquote cool. Right. And there's no reason why Orlando can't be all those things. And we do have, we have the sunshine. We have the beaches. We have the cool things to do. And at this point, you know, we've got a housing market you can more than afford. You know, um, everything else is within financial reach. And I don't see why more and more companies aren't starting up and staying here. This idea that you've got to run off to New York or Silicon Valley is just kind of silly and wasteful. Well, some of it is part of the whole mythology of the startup, right? Right, right. You know, know, it's the story you tell yourself that, you know, if you're going to be the next Facebook or the next whatever, that you have to do what exactly what they did, and that's the magic sauce is, is, is craziness. You need to do something new, something different, instead of this me-too approach to business. And, and I don't think either of us is judging someone who does no, move away, no, no. right? I Just like if you are a girl and you grew up with the princess complex and then you have a wedding where you're wearing a tiara, right? good for you. That's fine. But it's not for everyone. Right. And the world seems aligned in a way that seems that it should be for everyone. And there are whole industries built around this. But people are individuals. Right. So deal with it. Right. You have to learn how to sell things to everyone, not just these 20%. Well, and I think especially with the people who gravitate towards someplace like Urban Rethink, most of the people who are here are not people who are into the Me Too sort of approach to doing things. Right. By and large. They want to do something different. They don't, they're not really into the magic sauce approach to doing things. You know? Yeah, yeah. The, to treat something like a black box. Like yeah. The, this, is, this is something that I deal with a lot that I work with content management system driven websites. If somebody says, oh, well, why doesn't it do this? And I'm like, because we haven't built that yet. It's like, oh, but don't you just like turn it on and make it go and drag and drop? And I'm like, do you know how hard that is? By the right. way, like, yeah, people are working on that, and some people have achieved that in certain ways, but then try to plug your business model into it. The user experience is great for these eight people. Right. And for everyone else, you need to call me. Right. Yeah, I've dealt with that sort of mentality before, where particularly with web products, having you know, a CEO of a, a Fortune 500 company say to me, oh, why should we pay for you guys to do that when my 12-year-old son can put up a website? Right. It's like, are you willing to bet a Fortune 500 company on your 12-year-old son? <laughs> yeah, he can throw something up, but, you know, how much are you willing to bank on that? Yeah. You know, and people don't really understand how much goes into this it's sort of like when you watch a professional athlete yeah they make their performance look seamless it's right. like with any professional whether it's a musician or um an actor or an or, artist or, or any artist you know they make what they do look so easy you think oh gee i can go out and become a professional tennis player right until you get out on the court yeah and then you find out exactly how hard it is to hit a perfect backhand. Mm-hmm. Never mind everything else they're doing. Right. You know, and then when you attempt it, it's like, okay, this is a whole lot harder than it looked. Right. And that's what, as tech professionals, we have to deal with. Yes, our job is to make everything work beautifully and smoothly and make it absolutely seamless. And what you don't see is how hard and how complicated it is behind the, the curtain. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and this is something that you see a lot in, you know, when someone, I mean, I do this every time. 
I look at a work of art and it says $3,000. And my first thought is not, it's not worth that. It's more that it's not worth that to me. Right. I, I cannot afford to throw away a whole laptop on something that's going to hang in my house. Right. I don't care how awesome it is and how much I love you, it. You'll, you'll buy a print. <laughs> right, I'll buy a print, or I'll take a photo of it, and I'll go home and I'll paint one myself right. for that amount. You know, and that's something that I'm inclined to do. I'm a, I'm a maker. I'm a a DIY person. I'm a tinkerer. Yeah. Whatever. For some reason, when I say the word hacker, certain people their hackles go up and like, oh no, don't hack me, don't steal my identity, and I'm like, that's not what hacking means, by the way. Yeah, no, that wasn't the original. That wasn't the original definition of the term. It's what the uninformed have turned it into. Yeah, I mean, we have we have examples of this all over the place where someone misunderstands yeah. this principle and then gives it a word, and then now that becomes synonymous with said word. But, um, you know, the people who go to Urban Rethink are maybe not the best audience for some of this stuff because... We look at it and we don't really go, that's not so hard, but that wouldn't be so hard for me. Right. Or even if it would be, I would relish in the idea of figuring it out. Right. Well, I mean, that's one of the real divergent points, I think, especially these days in our society. There tends to be this real parting of the roads between the people who just want to consume things, I think, you know, they're willing to pay, the th- if they have it, the $3,000. And the people who want to look at something and figure out how it really works and how can I, make, how can I take it apart and make it better or do something different with it. And when we use the term hackers, I think that's what you and I really mean you know it's and you know other people use the term maker to to not frighten off people um but whatever term you use it's someone who wants to be much more hands-on wants to take things apart wants to understand how they work how they interact with other things in the world um and i think actually that population is probably the smaller population these days yeah. than people who just want to turn on their computer and it does what they want it to do. And if it doesn't, they end up throwing it against a wall in frustration. But yeah, makers and hackers and DIY people and stuff, you know, I, I think they're, at least to me, the more interesting people but then I'm one of them so they, they would be the group I would gravitate toward and you know it's it's getting really exciting out there in the world because there was a certain point where it was like hey did you know that you can take this thing that only exists in a computer model and then print it out and it will become an object and it was like okay that's really cool but how much money does that really cost you know and I was on like the University of Michigan campus where they have like their own three dimensional cave they literally call it the cave where you can look in any direction and there's something being projected on that surface and you're like flying through this space which I love Mm -hmm. and that would no matter who you are, cost tons and tons of money to set up. Right. And then they had the 3D printer, and it was like, oh, I want one of those. And it just was so far out of reach because I put it next to the cave, right? Right. But then somebody says, I can make one of those out of some bailing twine and a piece of plastic and an off-the-shelf inkjet printer head. And you go kidding me and then they did it and then they said not only can i do that i can make one that will replicate itself (laughs) and then you can have one for like two hundred dollars right and you can have one pre-assembled for like seven hundred dollars right which is just amazing to me yeah and there's a situation again where 
a certain person would go $700, no problem, and I would go $200, I wonder if I can order it from China, even cheaper than that. Right. You know? Right, right. Or if I, if I could figure out a way to use different parts and make it cheaper than that. Can I use Lego bricks and make it cheaper than and that? And this is about every fifth project on Kickstarter. Someone says, I made my own 3D printer. It's based on this guy's design, by the way, but I made one. And this is how I did it. Right. And right. I'll sell it to you for this. Right. And if all you do is give me $5, I'll give you the schematics. And then you have to figure it all out on your own. Right. So really interesting stuff happening out there in the world. And then you, But then you have... For the people who do want to treat it like a black box, you have these like professional printing services. And you send them your design somewhere up in, I want to say it's in the Midwest, like Michigan or Minneapolis. I'm going to go with Minneapolis. Um, and then they mail you back like a laser cut or a 3D printed or a CNC cut part that you can then do whatever with. Right. It's like the... Uh, the cafe press of things. Because cafe <laughs> like press that. is not even the cafe press of things. Right. Cafe press is the cafe press of coffee mugs and underwear. And t-shirts. And t-shirts. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. I mean, we're lucky because we have, like, Fama Labs, you know, up the road. And they have 3D printers of all sizes and varieties. And, and that's really, really cool. But, yeah, there's... Always somebody trying to make a better mousetrap, mm-hmm. if you would. And even here, you know, at Urban Rethink, we're always trying to figure out how to do crazier, better, cooler things. Yeah. Over the weekend, I watched a ton of videos coming out of Microsoft Research. Right. And as I was saying to you before, most things that Microsoft does do not excite me all that much. They're interesting, and... You're not going to run out and buy a PC laptop running Microsoft 7? Win 7? No. (laughs) Nor am I going to buy an Xbox anytime soon, either. I mean, like, most of the things an Xbox does, I don't need, or I can get somewhere else. Right. The fact that they're all in one place is really attractive, and if somebody told me that they were going to get an Xbox, I would say, good for you. Because I think that is... Very convenient, right? It is genuinely useful, but not for me. Right. I I don't know. There's something about being told what to do that sets off a switch in my head. And I say, right. no, I can do it a different way. <laughs> and uh, it ends up making me buy a lot of products that maybe don't have the same longevity as something like the Xbox. But I feel like... I have a deeper understanding of some of these technologies, which is part of my job right. because of it. And then when I get a job with the, a theater in upstate New York, and they say, can we put a web page on our closed-circuit television system? And I said, absolutely. And it's it's not something that I go, well, I guess if you wanted to, you could do that. It's like... Within a few seconds, I knew how I would build it. Right. And it was just a matter then of executing it and getting their taste and tweaks so that it was the thing that they were asking for. Um, that was one of the, that's one thing that I'm really proud of, and hopefully we'll get one going in Urban Rethink here one day as well, whenever things get moved around. It's a whole internal politics thing that we don't need to really go into right now. <laughs> but um, There's always politics. Yes. The idea of not being afraid to, as some people would say, JFDI, which would be just effing do it. Yeah. That's something that makers don't really have. There's no filter for us that says, you shouldn't do this. No. No. I used to get told that things were impossible but usually, especially when I was in Silicon Valley, but then since my job was director of innovative computing, basically I was in charge of doing the impossible. Yeah. And I was notorious for taking technologies and doing things with them that they were never intended or designed to do. I have a, 
a sign in my office at home that says, if we knew what we were doing, it wouldn't be called, it wouldn't be called research, which is a quote from Albert Einstein. Hmm. That's pretty much my take on it, because I do love research. But, you know, taking things apart and going, hmm, wonder if we can make it do this or that or whatever. You have to sort of have a certain level of fearlessness and be willing to blow things up and go, okay, well, that didn't work. Let's try moving to trial B and mm-hmm. C and D and E. This idea of never failing is just, I don't think, an option for a maker or a hacker. Yeah. You know, we know we're going to fail, but eventually we're going to hit on something that works. We're going to hit on the door that's going to open. You know, I think that a lot of people don't have that kind of patience to keep sort of banging on it until it does finally open. But for us, when it opens, and this lets us into an area where we can, you know, go, go off and do even more cool and crazy and fun things. I went around to the side and I peeped through the crack. I saw an old man laying flat on his back. Yeah! If old man Mose was dead asleep, I did not know. Boy, after looking through that window, mm, they ain't gonna do that. No One of my favorite things is just, like, put it down and go water the garden for a minute. Yeah, if it gets too frustrating, yeah, walk away. You know, or go play with the cat, or I don't know what it is, but... And for a lot of people, that moment, that time when you not only get over it, but have the realization. It always seems to happen in the shower. Have you noticed this? Oh, yeah. There's, a, there's a, actually a reason for this. This is the neurobiologist in me coming out. Um, what it is, is when you take the frontal cortex, which is the part that's like paying attention, paying attention, paying attention, paying attention to what you're doing in real time, what's right in front of you, you allow the subconscious the part of you that's sort of always kind of parallel processing the older parts of your brain um, to, to sort of percolate. And it's always processing, well, what about this option? What about this option? What about this option? Um, but you take your, the part of your brain, the, front, the frontal part of your, the cortex offline, and you go sort of like look at something else or whatever, but this other part of your brain isn't offline. It's still kind of randomly going through the index, mm-hmm. sorting through the boxes that are in the attic. And it's the one that goes, oh, I can do this. And that's that eureka moment where you go, wow, I wasn't even thinking about that. Not consciously you weren't, but subconsciously you were. Well, and there's something too about that. As soon as I have a problem that's hard enough to solve that I have to go ask someone else right. what the answer is. As soon as I start showing it to them, I'm like, stupid. I know the answer to this. Yes. But then you're already in the middle of saying it, and you're like, and then this happened, but I already figured it out. And they're like, no, wait, but finish your sentence. What are you talking about? And I'm like, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's It's when you're in the shower, when you're explaining it to somebody else because you're using different parts of your brain and you start making different sorts of connections it's just like I said when you know the beauty of being here at Urban Rethink is when you're talking to somebody who isn't in your your particular field that's when the the really creative jumps happen it's because you're outside your comfort zone Mm -hmm. you're pushing the edge of that a little bit or you're approaching it from a direction you normally wouldn't approach it from. I mean, if you want absolutely no creative jumps, put all the engineers together. Right. If you want no creative jumps, put all the artists together. If you want a real creative jump, mix the artists and the engineers together and make them have to work together. Yeah. They're not going to be comfortable, but they're going to have these epiphanies and they're going to happen it's you know it's like colliding atoms in a Haldron collider yeah right you're going to sm- you're going to smash them together and then really interesting things are going to happen 
but they're not going to want to go together naturally. Right. Right. Yeah. The environment is very important. Exactly. It's what's really hard to describe to people about what do I do? Okay, yeah, I make websites, but really I'm like navigating the tree of things that need to happen in order for people to get information from X to Y. Right. You know, and that's where I think I do a good job is not necessarily in like graphic design. It's in talking to people. Right. That's why I like doing my job, even though I'm pretty sure I could go do other things, is because I get enough of that reward of like talking to people and solving their problems that I've been doing this for 10 years now. Right. That's especially what I love about being at Urban Rethink and doing Florida Creatives, too, is right. making connections between people. Right. Is, is being the person that stands there and says, Tim, have you met Catherine? Or, you know, whoever and whoever, whoever that happens to be. Right. And, and the fact that the space can do that even without me being here and that I had some hand in making sure that that was possible. Right. Like we had um, some people come in here from Canada, uh, Tennille and something. Well, he wasn't the captain. (laughs) Uh, I remember Tennille though, and they were from Kitchener, which is apparently the home of Blackberry. And they have a very booming tech scene there because of the influence of big company like Blackberry, and it incubates all kinds of other little stuff. They were saying they have a cool incubator space there, and they have lots of awesome stuff that happens in their area. I found out. Oh man! I found out. Oh man! I found out. Oh man! That old man rose. I'm telling you, I found out. Oh man! What it's all about. Oh man! I found out. Oh man! That old man rose dead. We're the lightning rod. Right. You know, they were down here visiting Orlando for some conference or other. And they found us, and they can come here and, you know, be around like-minded people. Right. Especially at some of these conferences where, you know, maybe they have a birds of a feather session, but many of them are not doing things like on conferences where you can do an open-ended, like, you know, wouldn't it be great if we could talk about space exploration at the writers' conference? Because there are probably enough writers that are also science fiction junkies that you could... Exactly. Find those people and have them have their own little... Those of us who live around here don't like to think about it too much, but the fact that there are things like Disney World and Universal and all of the entertainment attractions around here, they tend to attract all these conferences. Yeah. So that means if we can sort of bleed off some of the talent from that to come into town. Well, and if I can really draw a cause and effect, the Convention and Visitors Bureau draws all of the conferences. Right. And we should be thanking them and they should be thanking us. Right. Although, you know, other than their, like, big marketing campaigns with Peter Kagiyama and, like, making a giant smiley face on top of the Amway Arena... Right. I don't think there there is a lot of like cooperation there right. between the people of Orlando and them. Right. Which is really weird to me. Yeah, there should be more. We have to, we have to work on that. If you're listening right now, <laughs> visit Orlando, which is that's what they're called now. Give us a call. That's right. You know where we live. That's right. Well, I think we could keep doing this forever and ever. Probably. As we do ad nauseum whenever we're (laughs) hanging out in the same place. Being at Urban Rethink is a huge time suck for me. Yeah. I could be getting all kinds of other stuff right now. (laughs) But um, I think you need to have some time for mental explorations too. Yeah, it's true. And hopefully we've just done that in the last hour. And you, the listener, have gotten something out of it. So please do check out urbanrethink.com, as we have mentioned them numerous times. And uh, I'll ask you, Catherine, 
is there some thing maybe it's a book maybe it's a film maybe it's a poem maybe it's a person that you have been particularly inspired by in the recent weeks slash months it could even be the maker fair do you have a thing that you went this makes it cool to be a person that's happened to you recently um i think the maker fair actually it was a mini maker fair let's be you know real clear about that because we're not if you want to get into semantics yes if you want to get into semantics um recently we had the first orlando mini maker fair and that turned out to be much more successful than anybody thought it was going to be it was we had a huge turnout uh, and everybody seemed to really, really enjoy it. And I think this this next year's mini Maker Fair, or who knows, at the rate we're going, it may be a full-blown Maker Fair, is going to be absolutely stupendous. And we had all kinds of people making all kinds of things and showing them off, and I think it was amazing. Well, and that's somebody that I met there. She built that... Um structure. Oh, the light sculpture. Thing. And I'm not going to be able to remember her name now. And it's not something that's easy to pronounce either. It's not like it's just like Jane Smith. Yeah. Something simple like that. But um, I'm hoping to get her on one of these. And I don't know, maybe we'll actually like turn that into an event here at the space. That would be fun. Like interview her, but then have everybody sitting around. And the beauty of the, of the Mini Maker Fair was is we had technology and art both coming together in one one event absolutely there i mean there was everything from like kids playing with lego to the guy that built his own special scuba fins and people that made their own circuit boards and then you had lance with his his geckos and dr moonstein doing a concert Right. And, uh, you know, Nathan Selikoff with his, like, math art. Right. And not even math art. It's like theoretical math art. It's like fourth dimensional, who even derivative this. Math derivative, not, not artistic derivative. Right. Craziness. Yeah, it was... You're sorry that you missed it. That's what I'm going to say about it. Yeah, it was it was amazing. Every we had something for everything from little kids through grandma and grandpa. There, there. I think everybody had an amazing time. All sorts of arts, all sorts of technology, um, and everybody worked and played well together. Absolutely, it was a great day, and there was metallurgy and. Like water art, and who even knows what they were doing? Oh, firing off bottle rockets, and yeah, there was a siege engine. <laughs> there was everything. Everything. Everything and more. R two D two full life size R two D two robots. Oh yeah, that that was a cool day. Yeah, it was. I would I would love to see more of that. Well, um, uh, this will be the point where I will... So I said check out Urban Rethink. You'll definitely want to check out the Orlando Mini Maker Fair. Just just maybe Google for it and find people's pictures and videos and things. Um, I know there is something I'm going to link to from the Orlando Sentinel. They did a pretty decent video, apparently. And Catherine, I know that you have a website that you've been pointing people at. Maybe has a little bit of information about yourself. Yeah, that's... Um Catherine Neal, K-A-T-H-R-Y-N-N-E-E-L, dot com. Okay. And uh, this podcast should be available at batsouth.org, which is short for Bringing Art and Technology Together. And I couldn't get bat.org because four-letter domains are all gone. So I said, we'll call, we'll call this Bat South because we're in the South. And maybe one day there will be a bat north and a bat west and a bat moon. (laughs) 
and we'll have an office in Silicon Valley. There you go. <laughs> uh, and we certainly intend to be holding some event-type stuff soon. And I would love to see this also be a uh, video version with like a Google Hangout or something fun like that. But I haven't actually figured out how to record those yet, so that'll be something that I have to figure out one of these days. Cool. Um, and so you can please come there, leave comments, subscribe in the various podcast catchers that you find out there. And uh, I would love to plug one more thing, which is the Florida Creators Happy Hour. If you're in Central Florida, please come check us out. It is the third Monday of every month, and we do have conversations like this all the time, every month. And you can come and do that with us. Bad, 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 bad,